0: You guys take a seat. We're in our series. Yeah, you can clap. I mean, for God's word, it seemed like some of you wanted to. You're so res- you don't have to be so reserved. Just let it out. So we're in our series called The New Day. We're in week two, and the series is all about the resurrection, the impossible happening. And particularly today, we are talking about how we participate In the resurrection. You say, huh, we participate in it? And I say, oh yeah, we participate in it, meaning we participate in helping bring heaven onto the earth. Part of the movement of the resurrection. Now, the resurrection not only means amazingly wonderful things for you, but it also means you have amazingly wonderful things to do. Did you hear that? The resurrection not only means amazingly wonderful things for you, but amazingly wonderful things for you to do. And the key, I mean, the whole chapter where we get our name The grow from comes from Isaiah 61, and the whole point of it is God rescues these people, and these people who have been rescued will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. God plants them, and then the work for them to do, they're planted in a city, and the work for them to do is to rebuild the ruined cities of the world, to bring heaven upon the earth. That's the whole point of why we have the name that we have, and I want to paint a picture of you for you, so here's what's happening, or paint a picture of you. So God is resurrecting the world around us, and you're like a tree, that has resurrected up out of the ground, up out of the dirt, been given life, and now as you grow, you are dropping seeds all around you so that more growth might sprout up, so that more resurrection might sprout up. So here's, here's where we're going. I mean, one, what a calling that is. I mean, don't miss the... The beauty, don't miss the importance of this calling that God has given, God has placed upon you. So here's where we're going today. First, God comes and gives you peace, the peace of the resurrection. Second, God gives you proof of the resurrection. Third, then you are given this grand purpose. And then fourth, we see the posture that we have as we are called to go out into the world carrying this truth of the resurrection. So peace, proof, purpose, and posture. And, And here's what I hope today. I hope that you will leave here today understanding that you are participating in this movement that you are part of this movement, this movement of God resurrecting the world around us. All right, so here's where we're going. First, peace. So here's what happens. Jesus comes, and he, the first thing he says to them is peace. And then he says it again. Now, now this, is, this is a bit strange. Like, what's going on here? Well, this word peace in Hebrew means shalom, and shalom is a form of a greeting. But essentially what we're seeing him do is he comes in and he says, hey, what's up? And then he says, hey, what's up? And that's kind of strange, until you realize what he is doing. This word for peace, shalom, is packed, packed with meaning. Here's what it means. Shalom means that God has come to give you grace, to give you mercy, to give you forgiveness, like to shower it upon you. But then, it, only, it also means this, sh- this word of shalom is, is saying, hey, our hearts are kind of in decay. Like, things are decaying in the world around us. Our hearts are in decay, and God is bringing growth. He's reversing it and resurrecting our hearts. Here's what it also means. It means that God has come to be with us, to bring about this shalom, to bring about everything the way we want it to be. Peace means heaven coming on earth. Now means heaven is invading the earth. Now, the thing that the whole world is longing for, the ache, the groaning of all of us, of all of creation, Jesus has just come into this room and given it all to them as a gift. Just given it as a gift. Everything that the whole world has longed for, he's just saying, here, this is a gift for you. So why is he giving it to them? Because they're like a moral elite? Because they've got it all together? No. Far from it. Jesus, I mean, they have messed up royally. See, here's what's happening. For the last three years, they've been with Jesus, and Jesus keeps saying to them, despite what you think, despite what you feel, I'm gonna die and I'm gonna rise. As crazy as it sounds, I'm gonna die and I'm gonna rise. I'm gonna die, I'm gonna rise. I'm gonna die and I'm gonna rise. And so he's dead, and They completely doubt it all. They do the same thing that we likely would have done. They think, ah, the resurrection is just a dream. This is way too good to be true. This idea of God being gracious to us, of just like all of our sins being cast from as far as the east is from the west, all the guilt, all the shame we feel in our lives, completely gone, no, 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 no. This is too good to be true. And I want you to know that this message, one, one, this message of the resurrection and this message of grace, particularly that Christians all over the world are messing up this message. The clarity of Christianity has gotten lost. So many people, they fall into this trap of thinking, oh man, if I obey God. If I can obey him, then I'm going to get this shalom. I'm going to get this peace. I'm going to get this grace and this mercy. And I'm going to get heaven if I can just obey God enough. But look, the disciples have completely messed up. And Jesus doesn't condemn them. But he comes and he gives them this gift. This beautiful gift. The gift that all of creation longs for. He just gives it to them. Not because they earned it. Listen, your obedience will never give you the shalom that you long for. It is God giving you this gift of this shalom, this peace, this grace, this mercy, this heaven. It's God giving you this gift that makes you say, oh, this is a God That I want to listen to. This is God that I want to obey. Not because I have to, but because look at this gift that he's given me. Look at how he has showered me with something I didn't deserve, but I long for it. And he just comes and puts it right here on my lap. I want to listen to that God. I want to obey that God. I want to do what this God tells me to do. And that peace... When it is given to you, here's what you got to understand. The peace, when it's given to you, it produces a courage in you to go and do all the crazy things that God has called you to do that you never would have done because you have gotten this news of this gift that's been given to you and this news of peace that isn't earned and it's given as a gift through faith in Christ. Now, here's the thing. He's the fountain of peace. The same as a water fountain is to the thirsty. He is to the burdened soul, to the longing heart, and to the unresolved mind that can't make sense of this world. Or you think of it like this. You think there's this island in the middle of the ocean, and At this island, this is where everything is the way it's meant to be. This is paradise, the island of paradise. And it's paradise because God is there. So just, okay, there's this island that everybody's trying to get to. And you got to think of yourself. So now think of yourself as a sailboat. But you're a sailboat without a sail. And the wind is like howling. And the wind is all pressing like towards this grand island. But you don't have a sail. Well, (laughs) Christ is the sail. The Spirit of God is the wind. Christ is the sail that takes you to this island. But here's what we're doing. We're all, by our own efforts, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get to this island. So we're, ju- we're-, we're kicking as hard as we can. We're paddling as hard as we can. And you know what keeps happening to us? We keep getting further and further and further from this island. We're in a riptide. We're in a riptide. We're in a riptide. I don't know what he said, but I know it was funny. So, so we're caught in a riptide. Thank you, Joe. And it's, this, here's what the riptide is. Here's what the current is. The current is the current of this world that is pulling you further and further and further from God. And you don't have the sail set and the wind is howling. It's ready to take you there. And as soon as you go to Christ, he becomes the sail that sets you straight towards this island of paradise that you long to get, you, get to. And We are exhausted. You are exhausted. Kicking and paddling, and all it's doing is getting you further and further and further from God. This means that the way to get everything that you want, this shalom, is not through effort, but is through Christ. It means, here's what it means, when you suffer in this world, it means you don't tighten up, it it doesn't mean you toughen up, it means you go to Christ, you run to him so he can give you peace and shalom in the midst of the suffering. It means that when you sin, and you feel so guilty for the sin, and you're beating yourself up for the sin, ah, it doesn't mean that you try harder It means you go to Christ, and he casts your sins as far as the east is from the west. You go running to him, and he showers you with mercy. See, he delights to shower you with mercy. The thing is, you're scared to go to him because of whatever guilt you feel. And do you know what he wants? He wants you to come to him. He's saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. And do you know what? When you finally start making your moves to him for mercy, do you know what he does? He sees you coming. And he's very good at spotting someone who just is desperate for mercy. And you know what he does? He doesn't wait for you to come to him. He goes running to you. And he wraps you up in this grace, and he wraps you up in this mercy because he knows what it looks like. He knows what someone looks like that is desperate for mercy and desperate for grace. So your temptation is to run from him. Your temptation is to think, ah, i got to get myself all figured out before I can get to him. i got to clean myself up a little bit. And he wants you to go to him when you're at his, your worst. Because that is when he does his best in you. you got to just picture that. I mean, you got to picture yourself just being desperate for mercy and just finally saying, okay, I'm going to go to you. And I'm going to take the risk, and I'm going to take the chance. And you go, and you find him, how he really is, a gracious God. In the peace of the resurrection this shalom, this also means that God is going to bless you with something far greater than you could have imagined. And you know what he blesses himself with? Himself. See, we keep on thinking, oh God, bless me. Oh God, bless me. Bless me with this, or bless me with that. Bless me with that. And you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to say, ah, all those things are great, but I'm far greater. And once we go to that is when we realize that this is actually true. So, you picture, you picture uh, the resurrected Jesus coming to you, and he's offering you this gift. And you see him, and this happens. We see him offering this gift. You know what creeps in? Doubt. I mean, let's just be honest. Like, we think of the resurrection... And then as soon as we think of it, doubt just starts., uh, it starts coming in, and it's just creeping and webbing its way in. And so what does he do? He comes to the disciples and he offers proof that the resurrection is not a hoax, it's not a lie, it is very real. And it's not just some idea that got thought up, but it is something that is real. So God knows he knows that we're struggling with faith and doubt and did you notice this so so watch what watch what he does watch what Jesus does the disciples are scared so they lock the door because they're scared And listen, they've been told already, we saw this last week, Mary Magdalene has discovered the resurrected Jesus, and she went and she told all the disciples. The disciples have been told that Jesus has risen from the grave. Now, Jesus has been telling them this for three years, I'm going to rise from the grave, but what are they doing? They're locking the door because they're scared of the religious leaders. Now, i got to tell you, if you hear that the resurrected Christ is coming for you, which is what Mary has gone to tell them, you're not going to lock the door. But the problem is that they're doubting. The problem is they're struggling to believe that this is really real. They lock the doors, why? Because they are ruled more by doubt and fear than by faith and hope. Don't miss that. They are being ruled by doubt and fear more than faith and hope. And if you don't know about fear, let me tell you what fear does to you. It clouds your judgment. You can't see clearly when you're afraid. And you know who knows this very well? Advertisers and marketers. Now, by the way, if you're in advertising or marketing, that's has nothing to say against you. But it's just the way humanity is. So, so I was listening to a podcast, and they were talking about Hey, if, if you are wanting to get people to listen to you, which is what I want right now, listen to me. So if you want people to listen to you, you got to scare them a little bit. You got to present to them this problem so that they'll actually listen to what you're saying. And if you're selling something, well, then you can sell it to them because they're listening and now you show them their need for it and then they are likely going to buy whatever it is. They're going to watch the commercial and buy it, feel like, I, I, don't, I don't want that to happen to me. I better buy this thing. Fear controls us far more than we realize. And it stops us from letting God in. We lock him out for the fear of things of this world. But look what Jesus does. He knows the disciples are scared. So what does he do? Well, he just walks through the wall. (laughs) I don't know if you saw that, but the doors were locked, and then Jesus is just in the room. So he just walks through the wall. Now, just for a second, just imagine this. So the disciples are already scared. I know that's kind of throwing you off. He walked through the wall, but just, he resurrected, like he came alive again, so he can pass through walls. So, okay, so just imagine this. There's this room, and the disciples are already scared. And then all of a sudden, out of this dark corner, Jesus just walks out and says, hey, what's up, guys? (laughs) Like... And they're like, whoa, Jesus, it was enough that you have risen from the dead, like that's freaky enough, but now you're sneaking out of dark corners. I don't know if we can really handle hanging out with you this much. So this is what happens. Now, by the way, if you're struggling with this idea of him just passing through the wall, I understand. But if the hope of the resurrection is true, What's the hang-up? Now, if it's not, I understand why you would think you would just bump right into the wall if you tried to do that. But what I would say here, listen, don't be so close-minded about this. We will one day be made of different stuff than when we began in this world. Our cells will be different. Our substance, the substance within us is going to be different. And the, our idea of space and time, like that's part of creation. We will begin to operate outside of this. I don't know what that means. Don't ask me what that means. But the bottom line here is Jesus, all of their doubts, Jesus is giving them proof that he really is who he said he is, that he really has risen. And then he shows them that his hands and his side showing, hey, here is the proof. So that they would abandon their fear and doubt. And instead of them hiding, in this locked door, they would unlock the door, go out and tell the world that this really happened. Instead of hiding, here's what happens. Instead of them hiding from the religious leaders, do you know what they do next? They unlock the doors, go out and tell the world, including the religious leaders, that Jesus really has risen from the grave. But fear, at first, clouded their faith and hope. And this is what happens to us. They were ruled by fear. And we become ruled by fear. And you know what we're scared of? Today, what we're scared of? We're scared of looking dumb for believing in something that we can't fully prove. But you can't really prove anything completely that you believe in. At some point, everything must be taken at faith. But we don't want to look dumb. So here's what we do we become cynical about the resurrection, and we start becoming cynical about everything else. Now, I've confessed this to you. I'm uh, like, I am a skeptical person. I'm a cynical person. But hope is fighting. It's fighting its way up into the surface, and Jesus gives us what we need to let hope all the way out so that it can turn into belief. So here's what's happening. You're waiting for God to knock on the door, waiting for the proof that He cares for you, that He loves you, that despite everything you experience in this world, you're you're waiting for that knock on the door. But He doesn't knock. He comes in through the walls, and He's with you now, but you can't seem to find Him. And the reason you can't find Him is because you're waiting for the knock. And that's why you're missing him. Okay, so if you're saying right now, okay, just prove to me then that Jesus is with us now. Like the whole premise of of Christianity is Jesus is present with us by his spirit, sending us his spirit. So you say prove that. And here's what I say to you. I can't prove it. And the reason I can't prove it to you is because you're scared of him. You're scared of the life he's going to call you to live. You're scared to hope. All I would ask you to do right now is to be bold enough to hope. It's easy to be cynical. It's safe to be cynical. It's less risky to be cynical. But let me tell you this. When you're cynical, you see nothing. Nothing. You hope in nothing, and you put your faith in nothing. C.S. Lewis talked about this in his writing, The Abolition of Man. And he says, essentially, to see through everything is to see nothing. We're cynical and cynical and cynical. I mean, that's what we're doing. We're seeing through everything. We're saying, yeah, but. Okay, yeah, but. Okay, yeah, but. And so we see through everything, and then we deconstruct everything, and then we actually see nothing at all. Just try risk looking dumb. <laughs> try being courageous enough, dog. And then what you find is you might actually find something that's worth believing in. You might find something that's worth living for. You might find something that's worth giving your life for. In order to move past your doubts, you have to be willing to hope. And I I gotta, I mean, if you are like me, you're struggling to trust God, and the reason you're struggling to trust God is because you are becoming cynical about Him. And all I would say is, I dare you to start hoping, or I dare you to start hoping again. And when you do, what happens is, you find all the reasons that you have to trust Him. You see Him, and, you, and He's in the room, and you say, oh my gosh, you're here. Like, Where have you been? And he says, I've been here the whole time. You've been waiting for me to knock on the door, but guess what? I've been alongside of you this whole entire time. You just didn't have the eyes to see me because you wouldn't dare to hope. What you realize is the reason you couldn't find him is your expectations of him were far too low. You're like, God, I just need this in my life, or I just need this in my life, and he wants to give you heaven And he's waiting there to give you heaven, and you're like, God, I just want a little bit more of this, or a little bit more of that. He's like, no, 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 I got something so much greater for you. But you couldn't find him because your expectations of him were far too small. And once you see him, get ready. Because everything is about to change. And he's about to call you out on a mission and ask you to join him in the work of the resurrection. He's asking you to unlock the door and go out because there's something awesome for you to do. This is our third point purpose. So peace, proof, purpose. The resurrection... Work The resurrection work that you have been called to do is to help bring heaven upon the earth, to help bring heaven upon the earth, all the places where you are, your neighborhoods, your jobs, your families, wherever it is, your friendships. God is calling you to bring heaven to earth, and he's commissioning you out to participate in the resurrection. To bring heaven to earth. See, you're sailing towards the island, Like, let's say you're a Christian now, and you're sailing towards the island, and you see the island, and you're all excited, and then something happens. You're fixed on the island, and then all of a sudden you turn this way. You're like, what is happening? And you're turning away from the island. You're like, oh, no, I'm turning away from the island. What's happening? And doubts start creeping, and you're like, God, where are you? What is happening? Do you know what's going on? He's got a mission that he's sending you to go do. The Spirit, the wind, the Spirit has shifted the wind. He's got something for you to do over here, and you're being called to do something that has so much purpose behind it, but it's causing you to doubt God. Look, you are still here upon the earth, and you are still here because God has something for you to do. He hasn't taken you home yet, and because of that, he has something for you to do. That's the only logical conclusion to come up with. He's sailing you right towards it. You just have to open your eyes. to See what he is doing. Or you're like this tree. And you're this tree. If you're a Christian, you're this tree that's been growing and you've got all these seeds to, to throw out. And so you're taking these seeds and you're throwing them at people and you're pegging them in the head or you're doing whatever it is. Probably do something out of love like that. But you've got these seeds and you're throwing them out. Throwing them out. I pegged her in the head just now. <laughs> Uh, you're throwing them out and they're falling to the ground and they're bringing about resurrected life around you. There's so much purpose in your life if you will just see that you've been called to do this. But all this purpose that God is flooding into your life, you're saying, oh God, it's causing you doubt. And God is not wanting you to doubt. God is wanting you to have greater faith so you might join him in the work of the resurrection. I realize it's far more complicated than what I just said, because there's suffering along the way and there's pain along the way. But uh, he's got something beautiful for you to do. And he, you know what? God always works through His people. Right? He's working through you to bring His kingdom. That's what he's doing. And if his people will not join him in this work, he always finds someone else to do it. As soon as you see him for the first time, you unlock those doors and you take off running into whatever he's called you to do. You've got to think of the church like this. The church is like a larger sailboat. And we, each individual, is like a smaller sailboat. And so we're all docked up on this larger sailboat here right now. And then later when we leave, we're the sailboat that goes out on this mission. And then we come back in and we go back out and we come back in and we bring other people back in with us as we are going. But it's not just that. See, the the church is the larger sailboat, but then you think of the church in our city as an even larger sailboat, and all of these churches are a smaller sailboat that's sent out. And then within these smaller sailboats, there's even smaller sailboats with the individuals going out to accomplish some mission. And so you're seeing all of these like missions going out and coming back in, but it doesn't stop there because then we've got the church in the Treasure Coast. And then we've got the church and the world. And so what you see is a whole bunch of sailboats going in and out on all of these missions. And that is how the kingdom of God comes. And that is how heaven comes upon the earth. When we stop thinking there is no purpose in our life. And when we take hold that God has a mission for us to do. That is when you see the kingdom of God go but it's so easy for us to just get into our worlds and just ah, oh, and we miss it. We miss the purpose. Now here's the thing. We typically need something monumental to push us out of that door so that we'll go sail upon the ocean into these missions. Most people do not just go out on a mission. They need something to happen to them. So uh, come on, come on back. So 9-11 happens. People go and join the military. Someone finds themselves thrust out into this mission that they couldn't say no to for some reason, and it was just a small step, but then the next thing you know, there's something next for them to do, and then there's something else more courageous for them to do, and then something even more courageous for them to do, and the next thing you know, they're doing these amazing things, and they just thought, they were just saying yes to one thing that came another thing that became another thing. In in the movie Lord of the Rings, there's this little guy, small in stature, And the situation presents itself for him to carry out this mission. And it's one that only he could do. And so he says yes to it. And it carries him along. And then he finds himself in another situation where it's something only he can say yes to it. So he says yes to it. And this kind of keeps happening and keeps happening until the next thing you know that this little tiny guy has done the most courageous thing that the world has ever known. Because he just kept saying yes. Just keep saying yes to God and what He is calling you to do. Not what you are calling you to do, but what He is calling you to do. And you will find yourself living with so much more purpose and courage than you thought possible. Like, just come on for it. Like, you're a little bit bored. And deep down, you're like, I know that I'm meant for something more than this. I think it's true. And and once you say yes, you're going to find yourself on this adventure with God, bringing heaven to earth, and then you're going to see that there is a posture that God has called you to take. You're sent out to love and to love and to love and you carry this message of love where God has come. Now listen, here's your posture. You say, how do I go? How do I do this? What am I supposed to be doing? Well, Look at what Jesus says. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Well, what's Jesus done? He's left his home to set sail upon the earth. Now, I'm not calling you to foreign mission. You're already all out on the ocean. You just need the sail. So, he comes, leaves his home, and he gets into our world. He gets into our life. Listen. Listen. You are called to leave here and go and get into the lives of the people around you and to love them like you have been loved and to get into their life, to start doing the things that they do. Take up their hobbies. Take up their interests. And you say, oh, that's, I don't know. Is it, I mean, is this, is this right? Is this, this feels like too like, like a project or something? No, listen. This is love. And if it feels like a project, there's a love that is lacking. Let me tell you why. You know, like a guy, meets a girl, falls in love with her, and all of his friends are like, oh man, he's so much different now. He's he's probably not as different as we think he is. It's probably that he's found someone that he loves, and he takes the hobbies that this woman takes And he takes the interests that this woman takes, and because of that, he's doing different things now, because he loves her. We are called to love that same way, and so we go and we get into the lives of the people around us, and we start loving the things that they love, and we take up their hobbies, and we take up their interests, because we love them, not because they're a project. That's what Christianity fails, when it becomes a project we get into people's world, and then look at what else Jesus does. I, I, I want you to hear this the way the disciples heard it, because he says to, the, says, says to the disciples, Jesus says to the disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Now, it's likely that you didn't hear that the way you're supposed to, so I want to help you, because what he's just done is he said, hey, look at my hands, look at my sides, and what are they doing now? What's in their mind? I mean, they're three days out from the crucifixion. So what I want you to do right now because I want you to hear it how the disciples heard it because they're picturing this in their mind close your eyes and I want you to picture Christ crucified just do it some of you guys are not closing your eyes I, just close your eyes stop being cynical about this close your eyes and just picture Jesus crucified alright now here's, here's his words to you as the father has sent me so I'm sending you you're like, oh, I'm out. <laughs> you can open your eyes now. <laughs> You're like, I want to open my eyes. I don't want that to be me. So he's saying, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Now, every single one of the disciples, besides John, who was writing this, every single... Thomas, Doubting Thomas is next week, Joe. Every single one of the disciples, including Thomas, died this death on the cross why because they found something worth giving their life for that's another proof of the resurrection by the way nobody dies for a lie they found something worth giving their life over to I, I'm, I'm, listen I'm not saying that you're going to die on the cross okay so let me just take that from you take that burden from you. But what I am saying is that there is a slight death on a cross for you. Maybe not literally, but here's what happens. When you take up this cause, when you take up this movement of bringing about the resurrection in the world around you, you make sacrifices. But you make a sacrifice for a life that carries so much purpose behind it. To bring heaven to earth, you have to be willing to sacrifice your time and your talents and your treasures. You lose one life to gain one that is far greater. And here's what I'm talking about here. Doing what it takes, because you are compelled by love, to invite and bring people into the kingdom of God and making the sacrifices necessary to bring them in. Now listen, let me tell you this. You can't love everybody equally. So you can't just go, I mean you got to you, you can't just go and love the whole entire world. I mean, you should, but you can't at the same time because love requires sacrifice and there's only so much sacrifice that you can make. However, I don't want that to be your out. Joining the movement of the resurrection is where you bring others into this relationship with Christ. And he begins resurrecting them as he has been resurrecting you. Look, we're a place where believers and skeptics have honest conversations about faith and doubt. So if you're feeling skeptical about this, all I would say is dare to hope. And if you're a Christian, I want you to just imagine something. I want you to imagine the person that you would never think would come here. And then, that that, you know, whatever. And then I want you to imagine them being baptized. A few months ago, we had 15 baptisms over by the inlet. I want you to just imagine standing beside whoever it is you're thinking of and helping with that baptism. And you say, ah, that seems like far off. That seems like a stretch. And I say, excuse me, Christian, you are being too skeptical. Because if you don't think that you're a miracle... And you have not realized what's happening in Christianity. Christianity literally says you're dead and you've come alive. That's a miracle. You didn't earn it more than anybody else. It's just a gift. It's been placed there. You know that most of you are here because somebody to some degree has done this with you. Just naturally being loving you and wanting to see you come and discover some type of truth. Or just thinking, hey, you would love this place here. You love what we're doing here, this place where believers and skeptics have authentic community, honest conversations about faith and doubt. This is super cool. You want to be part of this. Come and be part of it. You have within you, listen to this, you have within you the wiring To sacrifice like this. Because you know how I know that? Because you are made in the image of God. And do you know what our God has done for us? We have a God who has bled. For you. We have a God who is scarred for you. No other God offers this. And you say, oh, that sounds like a weakness of our God. Uh Uh-uh. In all of his glory, he lays it aside because he wants to do this for you. And that makes him all the much stronger. Because he wins us over by love. And he rescues us by love. A love that says, I'm ready to die for you. But I'm going to rise for you so that you can rise so you won't be buried in death. Because even if I just die for you and I don't rise from you, then you're eventually death is going to catch up to you and you're done. But I'm rising. Take hold of me and arise with me. And then, you know what? As I'm picking you up, you pick up other people along the way. That's love. That's why he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Now go and love and tell others about this love. All right, I'm gonna pray. God, we pray that God, I know there's got to be like a wrestling match happening within us right now where we are pulled towards this but we're also pulled away from this where we see the freedom of this but we see the burden of this. And I pray, God, that you would come and speak peace to us. Where we start thinking, ah, in order for me to be the Christian I'm supposed to be, I got to go and do this. And and we start getting it wrong and we start putting effort in. And we want to say, no, we want shalom. We want peace. We want to know that this has already been accomplished. And I can rest, but rest for your glory. I can be holy and I can have this holy ambition for you, God. Teach us what that looks like. And God, I just pray for us individually in our souls that we would see that there is something to hope in. That as we are cynical about hope, we're scared to look dumb for hoping in something. God, I pray that you would just pull that away from us so that we might say, ah, I really do want something to hope in. And then we pray that you would invade our hearts and our minds. God, help us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.